We took a little break last week, and we've been going through the book of 1 Samuel. We're calling this Prophets and Kings. Our hope is to see the gospel of Jesus in the story of the prophets and the kings. Don't forget, I know I say this, but the gospel did not start in the book of Matthew. It started in the book of Genesis. And there's something about going through the books of the Bible where you see just the story of Jesus in some way kind of intertwined in these messages, in these stories. A lot of time, it's a shadow of something to come. It's a, a small picture or a type of Jesus or of the gospel in a greater way. Jesus said, when you read the scriptures, they speak of me in John 5, 39. They testify of me. There's something about seeing Jesus in the, the Old Testament. And there's something about just reading the scriptures as a way for us to learn, to grow, that we might grow in endurance and hope as Paul talks about. So we want to kind of immerse ourselves in the Old Testament. We are in this for a while. We'll be going through the first and second Samuel, the Kings, and the Chronicles, all right? We're going to be kind of walking through these books, um, get really familiar with this, because I think this also gives us a greater appreciation for the overall story and for how God is working in our world today. Cool? Yes? Um, So where we left off is, remember, Samuel is the prophet, but in chapter 9, we see Saul introduced, and the book kind of changes focus focus from Samuel to Saul. Now, Saul is going to be anointed king, And as we saw last two weeks ago, uh, we saw there's kind of like four different anointings that Saul has to become king. This is like a process. He's anointed king in private. He's anointed king like publicly. The people vote on him like, yes, this is our king. And there's kind of like these different ceremonies that take place. It ends, we ended in chapter 11 with this battle between Nahash, the Ammonite, who fights the Israelites. Uh, We see Saul step up in a great way. The people are like, wow, this guy was just anointed king. He did exactly what we hoped he would do. And they take him and kind of like anoint him king again or celebrate him as king now. So it's almost like that official, he is king. Like finally official. There's like four stages We'll put him up here, I guess. But you kind of see this like process to him being anointed king. And so here in chapter 12, this is really, really important. Here in chapter 12, we're seeing this transition from Samuel to Saul. Don't forget, Samuel is also a judge. The book right before 1 Samuel is the book of Judges. And you have all these different men and women who led Israel. And now you have Samuel, who's really the last judge and saying, it's moving on from me, the final judge, to you, Saul, the first king of Israel. And it's almost like this great handoff is taking place. This is a monumental thing happening for the the people of Israel, for the nation of Israel, their first king. And so Samuel's giving like a farewell address. He's acknowledging him as king and he's warning them. And this is kind of like, let me share with you, Israel, my heart, like my last words with you as prophet. Now, let me just be really clear. Samuel doesn't go anywhere, but he recognizes that there's a major transition happening. Samuel doesn't die until 1 Samuel 25. He's still involved with Saul, with David, as we'll see. But there's still this major transition from this being ruled by a judge to now being ruled by a king. So it's very significant. It's very important what's going on. So here's what we're going to read. We're just going to read chapter 12. And all this is, all chapter 12 is, is like a farewell message from Samuel the prophet. And you could imagine in a farewell message, he's going to leave them some powerful truths, some little things to consider. So the title today is simply, Ancient message, modern application. Ancient message, modern application. Here's a prophet, here's a judge, and he's really sharing his heart for the people right as if, right before Saul is really kind of acknowledged in a final way as the king. Now, let me just also clarify lastly, last thing is um, when it comes to Saul, like he did pretty good a couple weeks ago in chapter 11. Remember, when they anointed him king, he's hiding amongst the baggage, it says. Like, he was kind of running from that call of God in his life. 
He was hiding among the baggage. You can see that Saul or Samuel is not really for what's going on, but he's just going with it because the Lord's like, do it, give them the king they want. So Samuel's kind of going along for the ride. Saul is not necessarily uh, the king that we would imagine, but he is called by God to be there. And then next week, it's really weird. Next week, we're going to see really like the, the fall of Saul right away. I mean, he has like one good week for us, chapter 11. And immediately it's like over. And so we're in this transition with Samuel's farewell address uh, to, to the people of Israel. So I just want to pray. Before we read it, it's a lot. Uh, we're going to read it, but um, I just want to pray. Ask the Lord that this would not just be message for the people back then, uh, but for us today. Yes, amen. Father, we just want to thank you. We want to thank you that the word of God is living, is powerful. That it does something when we proclaim it. It does something when we listen with ears that actually hear. God, we ask that you'd produce fruit in our lives, change, transformation. God, we just want to thank you that you are so faithful to speak to your people. You love your people enough to bless and you love your people enough to warn them. And we just thank you that you've not left us alone, that you will not forsake us for your great name's sake. We thank you for the truth that we see here, God. And we ask that it would not just be something we read for them back then, but God, that you'd move and just speak in our lives. In just your wonderful name, amen. Amen. So this is uh, Samuel's farewell address to the nation of Israel, even though he doesn't go anywhere. But it's kind of like, this is like his final words, his final thoughts. And this is, you can imagine, a very emotional thing. Because he's very divided. Like, he's so for what God wants, but he knows the king is not the ideal, but it's something that God's allowing. And you can see, like, the emotions. I feel like you can hear the emotions in this. You can hear his heart in this. There's something about a transition that is painful and yet beautiful. I don't know if you've ever been a part of a, just a major transition in your life. Like think back to a season in your life where you go like, oh, this is coming to an end, but this new thing is starting to begin now. You know, I think farewells are incredibly difficult. When my wife and I moved out here in January 2009, I remember like saying goodbye to our friends and family. Uh, from 18 to 20 years old, I did like a Bible study in our house and other people's houses for like two years. We did this Bible study with a group of friends. It was amazing. Um, I really feel like that's where the Lord like, confirmed his call on my life. It was so cool to see friends around 18, 19, 20 years old who like, left the faith are starting to come back around. And it was such a beautiful thing. And two years in, we get the call to move to Florida. And I remember like, saying goodbye. And it was hard. It was hard. It was hard leaving. It's hard saying goodbye, like people you love and poured into. You know, about six years ago in 2016, I know many of you know my story, many of you don't, but I was a high school pastor for a few years and it was so hard. I remember, I remember the, the goodbye message, you know, I gave to like our youth group, just kind of exploring, even though I was still around for about another year, I knew this transition was huge. I wouldn't be the, the high school pastor. I'd be in different areas of the church to kind of learn church planning stuff. And I remember I cried like a baby, man. Like it was just gross, you know, like snot and like, <laughs> but I'm like still there. So weird. Um, and it's weird Transitions are very difficult. And so when I'm reading Samuel's farewell address, I feel like you can't help but see his heart, his emotions, just everything he wants for the people. He's like, let me just say it now. Like, I'm not going to hold back. And I feel like if you ever get a hold of someone's kind of like goodbye message, whether they're leaving office or they're leaving a high profile job and you kind of, you kind of hear their heart for the people and what's next. And that's what's happening here. Here's a guy who's elderly. He calls himself like gray headed. He's kind of older in his place of life and ministry. 
they've known him since he's a child, and he's like, I'm not going to be what I've been to you. It's dramatically changing. So as we walk through this, yes, I broke this up into kind of three major portions because I believe that's kind of how I broke it up to. Uh, but here's the idea. Here's the points we're going to walk through. We're going to see, number one, leave a legacy that matters. Learn to live in God's story and long for the Lord wholeheartedly. This is kind of a summary of like, let me share with you guys what I've seen, what I've learned, what I want to pass on to you, what I want to leave you with, what I want you to consider. So first point, we'll walk through verse one through five. We see, leave a legacy that matters. First Samuel 12, verse one, let's read. It says, and Samuel said to all of Israel, behold, I have obeyed your voice and all that you have said to me and have made a king over you. And now behold, the king walks before you and I am old and gray. And behold, my sons are with you. I have walked before you from my youth until this day. Here I am, testify against me before the Lord and before his anointed. Whose, whose ox have I taken? Or whose donkey have I taken? Or whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed? Or from whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with it? Testify against me and I will restore it to you. They, the people of Israel, said, You have not defrauded us or oppressed us or taken anything from any man's hand. And he said to them, The Lord is witness against you, and his anointed is witness this day, that you have not found anything in my hand. And they said, He is witness. So fascinating. He's saying goodbye, and he's like, Have I not been faithful? Have I not, I haven't defrauded? I haven't taken it. If I have, speak now. That's a pretty bold thing to do. It's like in my, you know, possibly 50 plus years of ministry, I'm old and gray, he says. Have I done anything wrong? I mean, that's incredible integrity. That is to me on another level. To even like invite that, like, have I? That's unbelievable, first of all. And notice he says, have I taken, have I taken, have I taken? I want you to remember a few chapters back in chapter eight, when he says, when the king is appointed, he will take, he will take, he will take. So I put this up here. This idea of he will take, but he asked, have I taken? What he's doing in these verses, he's reminding them, like, you wanted this king all along. He's going to take. Have I taken? No. Like, I haven't taken, but you want someone who's going to take and take from you. And there's this reminder of just like, don't forget what I've been. It's crazy. Like, he's been actually really, finally, we have a good judge in a sense with Samuel. And they're like, oh, we want to move on to the king now. Like, when things are actually kind of working and going right, they're like, we really want this king. And again, God gives them what they want. They wanted a king. They wanted to be like everyone. And God gives them over to that. But I want you to see what he's doing. He's saying, like, examine me. Put me on trial. Testify against me. He's just inviting and welcoming kind of feedback in his life in that way. You know, you think about Samuel. We saw him in chapter 1, 2, like his mom, right, praying, Hannah, praying for him. We see him dedicated over to the Lord as a little boy, as a little boy in the temple. He's raised up kind of serving in that priest role, but he's a prophet. He's a judge. Very interesting guy. And his, his whole life has kind of been under the microscope. He's, his whole life, his, his life has been like in this fishbowl. Like anyone can see and tap the glass and like know where he is and where he's at. And it's amazing to think he's saying, I, I welcome this. I mean, obviously, when, when you look at leaders, like this is very rare. This is very rare. We see a leader for years and years and years and go, man, they've been faithful. We can't find anything wrong against them. Samuel is very unique that way. And obviously, I think here's what he's showing us. He's showing us that he, he has left them a legacy of character. He left them a legacy that will stick with them. 
Listen, leaders will come and go, but it seems as if character really just kind of sticks with us. Like leaders come and go, but there's just something about when someone does it right, you're like, oh, they did it right. Sadly, too often, and we, I think we see like the articles that come up in the, in the church and it makes a big public thing, we don't see too many people finish well. You know, here's Samuel, he finished really well. He actually really cared about his legacy. He actually cared about what he, he did. And I bring this up because, you know, I find it interesting. We actually don't really think about legacy. Like, what are we leaving behind until we're kind of right there? Do you know that you are writing your story of your legacy right now? Like, right now. Don't think like, oh, my legacy one day, 30, 40, 20, whatever, how many years away? Like, your legacy is being written right now. What kind of story are you writing when it comes to your legacy? All of us are, are telling some sort of story. You know this idea that legacy just means something handed down from one person to another. And it, it could be related to like a will. It could be related to like a tr- It could be, but it's also like, what did I leave my kids? What mindset? What perspectives? What character? What did I leave the people around me? It's not just physical things. It can be that. But what's it, what kind of legacy did I leave? What was I known for? You know, again, being just a pastor and in my role, um, too often I see these things kind of happen or just being discussed really only at a funeral or memorial. It's kind of sad to me. Like people actually don't think about it. And if you've been at a memorial, you've been at a funeral, it's almost like we don't think about it until we're standing or sitting in front of someone's grave or coffin and we're reflecting on their life. And it's usually in those moments we start to reflect on our life. We're like, yeah, like what kind of legacy am I leaving? What would people say about me? Like we don't ask these questions really enough until like usually moments of crisis or moments of pain. But there's something that Samuel's doing. He's like, I want you to consider my legacy. What are you leaving and what will this king's legacy be? And he's kind of inviting him into this mindset. And there's something very profound about that. I would basically say, I'd like to invite you, invite you into thinking about your legacy now rather than later. Think about what kind of story you're writing now, not one day, but today. If it all ended today, what is your legacy at this moment? And there's something like hum, humble about this. Like Ecclesiastes 7 talks about, it's better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of praise or laughter. It literally says it in different translations. It's better to go to a funeral home than to go to a comedy club because the living take it to heart. Now, obviously no one pays to go to a funeral home. Like, can I get in? How much is it? How much is it, how much is it for? Like, are, are the seats 10 bucks? Like we'll pay money to go to a comedy club to laugh. Like we want to make people make us laugh, but we won't pay money to like go reflect on life and death. Like that's kind of strange. That'd be so weird. I know. But here's the idea. He says, it's better to do that. It's better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of laughter. The living take that to heart. There's something about going, man, what am I doing here? You know, I, I've shared this before and I'm not going to try to get too weird, but um, there's, there's obviously been influential men and women in my life, and there's some who have finished well and some who have not finished well. You know, I look back at in 2009 when I moved here, I was a part of this discipleship group um, with this guy named Chuck Smith, who was the founder of Calvary back in the day. And there's a, I'll show a picture because you guys, maybe you know him, maybe you don't, but I am very thankful for this guy's life. Here's a guy who finished well. I remember going, you know, he passed away in 2013. I was talking to my wife, and I'm like, I really want to go to his memorial. Like, I really want to, I really want to be there. She's like, Go. So it was October of 2013 when he passed, and I flew out to California, and they held his, like, funeral or memorial at the um, Honda, I think it's called, like, the Honda Stadium, I don't know. It used to be called the Anaheim Pond, but it's where like, the, the Anaheim Ducks play, like a hockey team. But I remember, like, they held his memorial there. I don't know if the picture's up there, but it's insane. It's insane to see, like, thousands and thousands of people. It's like a four-hour memorial service, and it was weird. It wasn't, like, long enough. I know that sounds weird. I know. But it's like four hours, and I'm like, every person that was speaking and sharing, it was the, one of the most encouraging things I've ever sat in, I've ever heard. 
just people talking about this person's life. And honestly, the, most of it was like, he would be frustrated by this because he wants all attention to be on Jesus and not him. And so kind of what we're doing is dishonoring him with this right now. And it's just so weird. It's so interesting. Because here's a guy who constantly reflected and pointed people back to Jesus. The reason why I'm doing this is how many examples do we have today? Not many. And obviously we'll fail along the way. Obviously we'll make mistakes. Samuel's kids, don't forget, we know that they went far off from God. Like they were not good and righteous judges. But the point is he's saying, speak about my life. Speak about my character. What have you seen? I just want to kind of invite you into that. I love what Paul said in 2 Timothy 1. Paul says, I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience. There's something about that as, as with my ancestors. You know, we are not the first generation to follow Jesus in a really difficult time. We're not the first generation to follow Jesus in a really confusing time. There's been so many men and women before us. Like, how can we learn from them? How can we look back and reflect I'm very thankful that there are people who've cared about their legacy. Like, you, you, I think you will leave a good legacy if you actually start thinking about your legacy. There's something he's inviting them into in that way. And I love this, obviously. He actually asked a question, and it just so reminds me of Jesus. Do you remember in John chapter 8, verse 46, basically Jesus was in a sense being on trial, and he says to the Pharisees, he says to the people, he says, which of you convicts me of sin? He also invited people, like, come on. Like, no one, no one could find anything wrong with Jesus. Like, the Samuel that we're reading of, obviously, is pointing to the greater Samuel, the greater judge, the greater prophet, who also asked a very similar question, which of you convicts me of sin? We have nothing, we have nothing. We can't say anything about you. That's why Jesus could say in John 17, he says, I have glorified you on earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. Basically, this is what Samuel is saying. He's like, I've glorified God. I've, get, I've finished the work he's given me to do. And this is that mindset, like, how do we have that approach? Just, Jesus, whatever you've given me, I, I've, I've finished. I've given what, I've done what you've given me to do. And I know a lot of us are far away from that. But it begins, like, a, a really good, healthy legacy begins today. A legacy where people go, wow, that was beautiful. It doesn't start one day, it starts today. And this is what we see from Samuel. And this is what he's reminding them of. He invites them into this. Now, we'll move on. But number two, we're going to see that he uh, invites them to live into God's story. And here's what I want to share, like before we just jump into this, because we're going to read a, lot, a big portion, verse 6 through uh, 19 or 18. We're going to see that he's invited us to learn to live into God's story. So often people did this, and it might be kind of boring, like don't zone out, but there's always like a reflection, like let's look at our history, let's look at our story. Here's what God did, here's what God's doing, here's what he will do, and this is what he does. He basically says, kind of let's look back. What has God done within our tribe, within our nation? So verse uh, 6, let's read. Number two, learn to live in God's story. Verse 6, here's what the author says. He says, and Samuel said to the people, the Lord is witness who appointed Moses and Aaron and brought your fathers up out of the land of Egypt. Now, therefore, stand still that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous deeds of the Lord that he performed for you and for your fathers. He goes, you need to remember the righteous deeds of the Lord. Verse eight, when Jacob went into Egypt and the Egyptians oppressed them, then your fathers cried out to the Lord, and the Lord sent Moses and Aaron, who brought your fathers out of Egypt and made them dwell in this place. But, verse 9, they forgot the Lord their God. And he sold them into the hand of Sisera, commander of the army of Hazor, and into the hand of the Philistines, and into the hand of the king of Moab, and they fought against them. And they cried out to the Lord and said, we have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord. 
and serve the Baals and the Ashtoreth, but now deliver us out of the hand of our enemies that we may serve you. And so the Lord sent Jerubbabel and Barak and Jephthah and Samuel, like myself, and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side, and you lived in safety. And when you saw that Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, came against you, you said to me, no, but a king shall reign over us. When the Lord your God was your king, and now behold, the king whom you've chosen, for whom you've asked, behold, behold, the Lord has set a king over you. If you will fear the Lord, this is key, if you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandments of the Lord, and if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. Verse 16. Now, therefore, he says, stand still and see this great thing that the Lord will do before your eyes. He's about to do basically a miracle in front of them. Verse 17, is it not the wheat harvest today? I will call upon the Lord that he may send thunder and rain. And you shall know and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord in asking for yourselves a king. So Samuel called upon the Lord and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day. And all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. All right, learn to live in God's story. All that. There's a lot there, I know. Just bear with me. It's been said that one thing we learn from history is that we don't learn from history. Right? Let me hear that again. One thing we learn from history is that we don't learn from history. I mean, over and over again, the people of Israel kind of found themselves in these moments where they are in trouble. They go, God, help us. God sends a deliverer like Moses. Then they forget. Then they rebel. Then they go, God, help us. God sends another deliverer. And then they forget. And then they rebel. And they're like, there's a cycle over and over and over again. And there's something about this, by the way. What Samuel's doing is genius. He's like, let's rehearse our history because we need to learn from it. Like, let's look back. We're constantly in these moments where like, if God doesn't break through, everything's going to fall apart. And then God breaks through and they immediately forget their God. And this is something we're inclined to, to do as well. I think we too can fall into that kind of same story. We have to break the script a little bit. Like that is a script we need to break. God is inviting them to live into a greater story, not just where we forget him time and time again, but we look at God and say, wow, God, you've been so faithful. We will worship and serve you. We will obey your voice, not some man, not something like we want to actually live into you. And this is so key. Listen, all of us here have a story. You have a story right now. Your story is being written right now. And it's kind of bizarre because our story, we are the main character. In our story, we think the world and so often does revolve around us and our story and what's going on. When in reality, God is the creator of all stories. There are different narratives, but then there's the meta narrative. There is the story above all stories. That is God's story. And God is writing this story and he invites us in to his story. And I think this is so important. He's basically saying, like, like I get it. Everyone thinks, like, the world, you, that like, it's your world, what's going on in your life. These are the biggest issues you're facing. But God's like, I want you to like, kind of zoom out a little bit. Like, just zoom out. I want you to see what I'm doing in the world. I want to invite you into that. I don't know why this came to my mind. <laughs> I was watching um, uh, Night at the Museum. Remember that classic movie with my son? He loves it right now. So fun. Do you remember that? This is so stupid. I'm just going to use it anyways. Do you remember this scene where, like, uh, Owen Wilson, the little cowboy, and the Roman centurion guy, they're, like, outside. And this is, if, you don't, if you're not, it's okay. If you don't get this, just bear with me. But they're outside, and they have to, like, pop the tire of a car, and they take this, like, little spear, and they t- pop the tire, and, like, the air is blown on them. They're like, ah! 
and the camera zooms out, and, like nothing's happening because you see like a, t- a tire like f- deflating slowly. Then it zooms back in, and they're like ah, with the air in their face. And they zoom back out, like nothing's happening. I feel like that's us, right? Like when you and I can zoom out, like it feels like the world's falling apart to us. Like we feel like, ah, this is like this world's gonna like fall apart. And when you zoom out a little bit, you're like, oh my gosh, like this is, I, you can't even tell what's going on. I think we need to zoom out a little bit. Like we're all kind of in our story and God invites us like, zoom out, zoom out. I wanna see what's going on. There's something about going, I'm inviting you into a bigger story. I'm inviting you into a better plan of redemption. Like I'm inviting you into something that you get to join with me and to seek and to save that which is lost, that you get to help be a part of changing people's eternities because Jesus Christ has come to give life and life more abundantly. God has come so that no one has to be separated from him, that no one would have to spend time in hell. When I talk to people, they go, I don't get, I don't get God in the story and hell and why is that? Why does it exist? And you go, man, this is not God's original intent for us. Hell was created for Satan and his angels, but obviously the gates of hell, as C.S. Lewis says, are locked from the inside. It's not so much that man, that God sends man there as much as man sends himself there. But the point is God is saying, I'm on this rescue mission to deliver the lost out of darkness into my marvelous light. And God's like, do you want to come with me? I want you to zoom out a little bit. See what, what he's doing to me is so brilliant. He's like, look at our story. We do the same thing over and over again. God constantly redeems and sends help, but we constantly forget. We fall into the same patterns. And he's like, zoom out, see this big story, see what God is doing. And we need to zoom out sometimes. Verse nine to me was the key of this. Verse nine, it says, but they forgot the Lord, their God. I really do believe that sin begins with a forgetful heart and mind. It usually begins because we forgot. Sin begins because my mind and my heart forgot what the Lord has done. I forgot who I really worship. I forgot who's in control. So I try to take it into my own hands. So often sin begins because we just have a bad memory and we forget what God has done. And he's like, this is the same pattern over and over again. And I'm inviting you to step back, to zoom out. I love what Heath Thomas, uh, an author said about this. He says, God is not something we fit into our lives. Rather, we fit our story into God's life and God's plan. Listen, we don't fit God into our story. We, we fit into God's story. God, what's your plan? What are you doing? There's something so much bigger. We have to zoom out and see this. You see, I think what he's doing, again, I want to I make sure you understand why we're even going through like the Old Testament in this way. He's saying, we got to learn from these stories. He even mentions Samuel himself. He said, we got to learn from this. Paul said this in Romans 15, 4, just hear it with me. Paul says, whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction or learning, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. This is why we go through these scriptures, that through the endurance, through the stories, that God would develop a hope in us that we can break this pattern. We can learn from the good things they've done and we can learn from their failures as well. And so we might find hope. We might break the script a little bit, fit more into God's script into what God's doing. Amen? You guys follow me on this? And here's what, this is what Samuel does. Samuel performs like this, basically it calls out a storm right then and there. Uh, It's believed that this was like in the month of May, the dry season, the wheat and the harvest he mentions. Uh, it would have been the rainy season months ago. Actually, a storm wouldn't be good. It could actually possibly ruin kind of the, the wheat and the harvest. And so he actually calls in a mighty storm. And what does it say in verse 19? They feared the Lord and they feared Samuel. Now I'm pointing this out because it's so bizarre. Like every time you see a storm in the scriptures, there's a purpose behind it. Storms are not usually meaningless. Storms usually have meaning. You can't really point out a storm that's like, that was pointless, that storm. Like every storm you want to think of, whether in Job or with Jesus on the sea, like every storm has meaning. I wish it wasn't true, but so often God uses storms to kind of wake us up a little bit. Is that not true? 
Like so often it's a storm that's like, oh yeah, whoa, 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 hey, what's going on here? Like I'm kind of on autopilot and then a storm makes me go, hey, I can't be on autopilot right now. Like I can't be on autopilot at all. I kind of have to like get off that. And so there's like this storm that breaks out and the people are like, oh, the Lord's here. This is crazy. Now he basically, the people are going to ask Samuel to pray for them and he is, and we'll look at that. But I want you to, again, we need to learn to live into God's story. God is doing something. How do we not fight it? How do we not forget? How do we learn from it? How do we go, God, I want to be a part of this greater story you're doing. God, the storm you're sending, how do I realize there's usually a purpose behind it? It's usually a meaningful storm. And so we'll get to number three. Here's number three, what we see next, lastly. We see that he's using the storm to create a longing for the Lord with all of their heart. So this is the whole point. He's like, you've been longing for a king. You need now long for the Lord with your whole heart. So read verse 19. He says, and all the people, they said to Samuel, pray, like this is a storm, ah, this storm. Pray for your servants to the Lord your God that we may not die. So it must've been a crazy storm. <laughs> for we have added to all our sins this evil to ask for ourselves a king. They get it. Oh yeah, we should have done that, but they still want it. <laughs> verse 20. Samuel said to the people, do not be afraid. You've done all this evil, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. Verse 21, just stay with me. Some phenomenal verses here. Verse 21, do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. (laughs) For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake. You say amen. He will not forsake us for his great name's sake because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. And I will instruct you in the good and in the right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. You know, this was um, sometimes for me throughout my, throughout my week, I can read the Bible, especially like when I'm teaching through it as a way like, okay, God, how do I teach this? Versus like, God, what are you saying to me? Every week, my hope is like, God, what are you saying to me? You know, for me, I was reading the scriptures, this chapter in light of our son being in the hospital and I'm going, what, what are you saying, Lord? And when you, when you read this, he's just going, long for the Lord with all your heart. Serve the Lord with all of your heart. And it's one of those things when you're reading it kind of in the midst of, the, in the midst of my context, in the midst of your context, these are some of the most powerful words you could read. He goes, serve the Lord faithfully with all your heart. With all your heart. God wants all of your heart, obviously. I mean, that is what we see throughout Scripture. God's like, I don't want part of your heart that is not sufficient. I'll be miserable and you'll be miserable. I want all of you. I deserve all of you. I've given all of myself for you. Give all of yourself for me. There just is this idea in scriptures of God gave it all. So we therefore get to also give it all. God gave all of his heart. His heart was poured out like wax, as the scriptures say. We, we believe like on the, the cross, his heart ruptured, that pocket of water surrounding the heart ruptured and poured out from his side. God's like, I gave my heart for you. I gave everything for you. Serve me now with all of your heart. There is that desire. You see, what, what Samuel's trying to do in this reminder to them, he goes, you're going to get a king. You're still going to get it. The storm is going on. He's like, I'm going to pray for you. The storm is going to come to an end. They recognize, oh, we want the king. That's a sin, right? Because we want the king more than we want God. And he's like, yeah, that is the issue. And sometimes our heart wants something more than we want in God. And what is that thing? It might not be a king, but what is that? 
What is the thing right now your heart wants more than the heart of God? What is it right now that your heart longs for more than God himself? And see, that's what they're confessing. Our heart has longed for something else other than you, God. Now we want to long for you. We want you. I mean, verse 20, again, just do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And that is it. God's like, I want all of you. Like 80%, not enough. 95%, not enough. That 10% you're kind of keeping to yourself that no one knows about, I want that. I want all of you. Every single part of you I want. Serve me with all of your heart. I find verse 21 fascinating. I don't know why. Like, this is one of those verses I almost want to like, go through with you. He says, do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. I love that, like, obviously. Do not go after empty things. Why? They're empty. <laughs> but he goes, do not turn aside after these empty things. They won't profit or deliver you. Isn't that crazy? How often do we turn to things that it's not going to profit? It's not going to deliver you. That thing you're pursuing, you know it's empty. That relationship you want with all of your heart, that high you're trying to get again that you got in the past, you know it leaves you empty. Stop pursuing after empty things. Why? It leaves you empty. It's like obvious, but I love it. It just leaves you empty. It won't profit. It won't deliver. You know, there's a really interesting phrase in Jeremiah that God calls out the people on, very similar to this. Listen, in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 26 or 27, this is what God says to the people. He says, listen, you say, he's like saying this to them, you say to a tree, hey tree, you are my father. <laughs> and to a stone, you gave birth to me. Very new agey. Uh, For they have turned their back to me and not their face. But in the time, listen, but in the time of their trouble, they say to God, arise and save us. Here's what God says. But where are your gods that you made for yourself? Let them arise if they can save you in your time of trouble. Now you want to worship me. Now you want to call upon me. Oh, now you want me. You've been worshiping for them a rock or tree, some sort of idol that they carved or made after their own image or whatever it might be. For something our heart worships is something that our heart maybe creates or manipulates or wants. But he goes, but in your time of trouble, you call out to me. Isn't that interesting? Because you know that rock and tree will not save you. But call upon them. Say to them, arise and save us. He basically says, you need to call upon the thing you've been worshiping. See if that works. How come, is it, how come he's saying you only come to me in times of trouble? The point of it and what we see is do not turn to empty things. They're empty. They won't deliver. They won't profit. Why do is it that we wait till the worst of the worst, then we want to invite God? Hey, God, where have you been? God's like, where have I been? <laughs> like, I think our mind is so funny. God, where have you been? I don't know why you're not here. He's like, oh, you want to know? I've been right here. Which is funny that we think he left us. What does he say? Because of my great namesake, I will not forsake you. Do you hear that? In verse 22, the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Can I tell you this? Um, the Lord will chastise you. Hebrews 12, he'll chase you. He'll discipline you. He will not forsake you. Why? Because of his great name. I mean, this is our God. Not because of your great name. His name. The name above all names. The name that was so holy, we forgot how to pronounce it. <laughs> this YHVH or YHWH in Hebrew, they're like, Yehovah. we don't even know. We don't know it. We don't know the name of God. Because in some ways, I think it's also a picture of how we don't know the name of God. I think we forgot God's, how to say God's name because we forgot God's name. And it's just really interesting. He's like, for your great name's sake, the name that is above every name, the name that the angel said to Mary, you shall call his name Yeshua, for he will save his people from their sins. The name above all names, Jesus, Yeshua. He goes, he will not forsake you because of his great name's sake. 
God won't forsake you. He'll chastise, discipline, correct, but he won't forsake. But this is one of those reminders from Samuel saying, wake up. You don't always need a storm to wake you up. Learn from your history. You don't always need this new storm to kind of shake things up a bit. I might use that, but it'd be great if we could actually just learn the easy way, not the hard way. I don't know. Maybe we're stubborn, right? I think we learn the hard way. But God's like, hey, look at your history. Look at these stories because I, I want you to live into this now. Wake up now. Long for me now. Don't wait until something else takes over your heart and life. Like long for me right now in this moment. And here's how I just want to kind of close out. Verse 24 is one of those profound verses. And to me, it's just the gospel. He says, listen, what do you say? Verse 24, only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully again with all your heart. For why? For consider what great things he has done for you. This is the gospel. Consider what great things he has done for you. What great things has God done for us? He's showing them over and over again, if you didn't catch it. He delivers you, and he will deliver you. And he ultimately delivered us, and his name is Jesus. He's the one who delivered us from our sins, from ourself, from hell. He delivered us from all of that. And he goes, hey, listen, for, consider, don't forget, remember all the great things he has done for you. The gospel is just like, when we talk about the gospel, like why we say keep the gospel at the forefront of your mind, we're saying never lose sight of what God has done for you. If Jesus Christ just died for your sins and rose again, that is more than enough. There's nothing else he needs to do, but he does do so much more, but there's nothing else. Like that is more than enough. That is more than enough. Jesus Christ did die for your sins and rise again. And you're like, well, where's God? Why isn't God? That is more than enough. Jesus, you actually gave your life up for me innocently. Like you did this for me. Like I was the guilty one. If you haven't caught this yet, chapter 12 is kind of, it's like a, a court case. Like this is a trial. Actually, the words are interesting. He basically said like, stand still, plead, make intercession, testify against me. These words that are being used, he's basically saying, I'm on trial. You're on trial. You're trying to put God on trial. But in fact, you can't put God on trial. You're on trial here. And there's these words kind of being used that, that way. And it's very interesting to me. He's bringing all this up to say, consider what God has done. Don't forget Stop forgetting. Like, think about all that God has done for us. The reason why we slow down and maybe we worship beginning and end is just saying, consider all the great things God has done for us. I think that sometimes the best thing we can do in worship is just stop and go, God, I want to right now sing or cry out and consider everything you've done for me. I don't want to forget. We're going to worship you now. We're going to raise our hands now. We're going to shout. We're going to kneel. We're going to do these things for you because we don't want to forget what you've done for us. We don't want to forget who you are and all the great things you've done for us. We want to keep that at the forefront of our minds. He goes, consider all the great things that God has done for you, for you. And we say, consider Jesus. Consider who he is, what he's done, what he's doing. That all the great things he has done for us. If he never does anything else, he's done way more than, than he needs to Consider this, he says. Here's my last thing. He's like, of course I'm going to pray for you. How can I not pray for you? I will not stop ceasing praying for you. Samuel is that great, again, intercessor who intercedes on behalf of others. Again, remind us of Jesus, that there's one mediator, or one intercessor between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And basically saying, you know what? I'm going to pray for you, and I will continue to pray for you. Here's what we want to do. I just want to close our time with some prayer and some worship. I want to say that we need to be a praying people. The invite at 9 a.m. is not just an announcement. Please come and pray. What we want to do differently on Sundays, we want to have more of a time of worship and prayer at the end. We will have leaders up here. I would say, please come and pray. Please don't view this as for some obscure thing that someone needs when they're in a dark, dark place. Like, I need prayer. We need prayer. So we want to kind of create and cultivate this heart of prayer. And he goes, Samuel goes, I cannot stop. I can't cease to pray for you. I love what Spurgeon said about this verse. Here's what he said. He says, listen to this. Perhaps you will never preach, but you may pray. 
If you cannot climb the pulpit, you may bow before the mercy seat and be quite as great a blessing. You might not ever climb the pulpit, but you can kneel to pray. And that's just as great a blessing, if not greater. So we want to kind of invite, invite the worship team up here. We're going to have some prayer leaders up here. We just want to turn this into prayer and worship and say, let us steward this. Let us do this. Let us learn from Samuel who doesn't cease to pray. So why don't we do this? Can you guys just bow your heads really quick and kind of just slow down? Learn from Samuel, the legacy he left, the story he invites us into to live into this gospel, sort of break the script. We can learn from the people before us who keep forgetting God that we would actually serve the Lord with all of our heart, not part of it, not give him some of it, that we can learn from him in these moments and that we would just be a people that prays. Yes, so let's pray. Father, we just want to say thank you. There is no one like you. God, you are the God of all gods. You are the King of all kings. You are the Lord of lords. Jesus, we thank you that we can come before your mercy seat, that your throne is this throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and grace in our time of need. We just want to say thank you. God, I just pray that for blessing over our people, that we would seek you, call upon you, look to you, that as we worship, as we sing, as we pray, that God, you would just dwell and inhabit the praises and prayers of your people. Jesus, we thank you. We pray that, we'd not, that we would not just play this Sunday church kind of game, that we would learn and we would break the script, that we'd serve you with all of our hearts, and not lean on our own understanding, but in all of our ways, just acknowledge you, Jesus. We look to you. We need you. We invite you in this place in your precious name. Amen. If you guys want to worship, if you guys want to come up for prayer, if you want to sit, let's just turn this into a house of prayer and worship. Amen.